Welcome back to the Chronic Fatigue and Burnout Recovery Podcast. In this episode today, I'm going to be talking about the nervous system and chronic fatigue. And this is a really popular topic, I think. I always get asked on my Instagram stories or on my Instagram account, how do I regulate the nervous system? I get lots of questions about the nervous system. And over the past few years, as I've been recovering, there have been more and more nervous system programs popping up specifically for people with chronic fatigue and chronic illness. So this episode today is really just to give you a little bit of an overview of the nervous system, why the nervous system is so important when it comes to chronic fatigue and fatigue recovery. And then finally, I'll also just be talking about some things that you can do to support your nervous system as you work on your fatigue recovery journey. So the first thing I'd like to do is just give an overview of how the nervous system is mapped out. And this is something that I would normally teach my clients when we very first start working together, when we're doing nervous system specific work, because I think having the understanding and the awareness is really helpful for people to understand what's going on in their bodies. And Usually when people have chronic fatigue or chronic illness, especially where they feel a little bit abandoned or let down or maybe even gaslit by the medical system, there is this real need and want to understand, you know, what's going on, what's happening to me, what's going on inside of my body. So I do like to do some more of the, shall we call it, head-based explanations. I like to talk a little bit to those cognitive aspects that are important, that need and desire to understand. But I will also say that a lot of nervous system work is not based on understanding. You don't have to understand the ins and outs of how the nervous system works to have a resourceful nervous system. A lot of the magic of the nervous system work comes in the practice and in the self-regulating exercises, which I'll touch on towards the end of the episode. So starting off with the breakdown of the nervous system, I was actually listening to a podcast the other day and The person who, I won't mention who it was, um, but the person whose podcast I was listening to kept on talking about the central nervous system. And this is your central nervous system going into a freeze state. And so it's really important to start off and distinguish that we have the central nervous system, which is the brain and the spinal column. And then we have the peripheral nervous system, which is the branches that go out into the body. And In that peripheral nervous system, we have more sort of branches, which are the autonomic nervous system and the somatic nervous system. So for the purpose of this episode today, I'm going to be talking about the peripheral nervous system and specifically the autonomic nervous system. So as we talk about this concept of nervous system regulation, we're talking about the autonomic nervous system and Many people will be familiar maybe by with um, some of the initial stuff I'll share, but some of you won't. So it's important to kind of break it down and keep it really simple to begin with. So the autonomic nervous system has two further branches. 
We have this sympathetic nervous system, which is responsible for fight or flight. And I'm sure those terms will be quite familiar to most people. And then we have the parasympathetic nervous system, which also has two branches. We have the ventral vagal branch, which I like to call the soft brain. This is the segment of the parasympathetic system that is involved in self-regulation and co-regulation with other people and social engagement. So this is the part that we often want to strengthen and retrain when we're looking at nervous system regulation. In the parasympathetic nervous system, we also have the dorsal vagal complex, or the DVC. And the DVC is usually associated a little bit more with the sort of freeze response, the shutdown response, the immobility response that we can sometimes access if we become overstimulated with activation. So our sympathetic nervous system, the branch that's responsible for fight or flight, is often referred to as the big spender. We use a lot of energy to activate our sympathetic nervous system, our fight or flight responses. And how I have been taught about the sympathetic nervous system is it's like a rocket ship. It takes off, you know, fast and very quickly and it activates everything all at once. And this is when we'll experience that increase in heart rate, that sudden, you know, constriction in our chest. Maybe you'll feel, um, you know, gripping in your stomach, the heart beating really fast, breathing frequency increasing. So, there can be this um, flooding of intensity, very overwhelming intensity when the sympathetic nervous system is very activated. And that's like the rocket ship shooting off into space. It requires a lot of energy to you know, shoot off into space. But also, if we stay in that fight or flight response, that's very energetically demanding on the body. Then we've got the, the parasympathetic nervous system. And the role of the parasympathetic nervous system is to counterbalance the sympathetic nervous system. So in a well-regulated system, a system that is able to use that ventral vagal complex, the soft break, we can tone down the parasympathetic responses and we can come into regulation. But when somebody has lost what we call vagal tone or that vagal break isn't um, finely tuned enough or strong enough because it just hasn't been exercises, exercised or used enough, then we may rely more so on the dorsal vagal complex, which is the hard break or the hand break. And how this has been taught to me is that the dorsal vagal complex is like a parachute coming over that rocket ship. So if you can imagine a rocket ship shooting up into space and then a parachute sort of coming over the nose of the rocket ship and then dragging the rocket ship back down to earth, yes, it's counterbalancing the activation of the sympathetic nervous system, but it takes a lot of energy to do that. So very often we think of the freeze state or the immobility state or the shutdown state that is associated with this 
overactivation of the dorsal vagal complex as a very low energy state because we feel perhaps very fatigued or exhausted or numb when we're in a freeze but there's a lot of energy which is bound up in that freeze state and actually one of the reasons why people can stay stuck in freeze is because to come out of a freeze state, it would almost be like lifting up that parachute. And if we were to lift up that parachute even a little bit, all the energy of the rocket ship could come rushing out. And that could be very overwhelming for the body to experience all that sympathetic activation as the freeze state lifts. So for some people, they might stay stuck in freeze because they haven't built their capacity to tolerate the activation of the sympathetic nervous system um, as the freeze starts to thaw. So here I'm going down a complete rabbit hole, um, but there's so much nuance and so much complexity when working with the nervous system. I kind of want to keep this episode today just kind of a basic general overview um, but when I'm working one-on-one with clients or in my group programs, then we'll get much more into the nuance and what's going on with each individual specific nervous system and what they need. So What I really wanted you to get from that rocket ship analogy is that it takes a lot of energy to be in fight or flight and it also takes a lot of energy even to be in freeze because freeze is kind of holding on to all that sympathetic activation from fight or flight. And when our energy is being prioritized to these survival responses for whatever reason, that means that we don't have energy, which is just going towards prioritizing the day-to-day function and maintenance of the body. And that's, you know, the maintenance of your cells and the maintenance of your digestive tract and the maintenance of balanced hormones and balanced blood sugar and all the different things we need to do each day. There can be nutrient deficiencies because so many nutrients are going towards our stress responses. And then we're not absorbing nutrients very well from our food because digestion isn't being prioritized because we're in the state of threat. So the end result is this chronic wear and tear on the body. And if you've listened to some of my previous episodes, I talk a lot about this chronic wear and tear on the body and also the cell danger response and the consequences of being in this constant state of threat. And ultimately, you know, these are adaptations that in the short term are life-saving. But when we get stuck in these survival adaptations for too long, they start to become destructive and dysfunctional. And this is where the nervous system starts to intersect with our ability to recover from these complex fatigue conditions and other chronic illnesses as well. So, What I would say as well is we often think of these survival states as being a bad thing. And there can sometimes be this messaging that we need to be very well regulated and very calm. And there's a lot of emphasis on calming the body down. But actually, um, what we really want to be able to do is to have the capacity each day to move through varied states. So to have flexibility between our ability to respond to something that is actually a little bit stressful and then also to settle and come back to baseline again when things are safe. 
So in a normal healthy person, throughout the day, they're probably moving through different states of activation. They're probably quite relaxed, perhaps, when they wake up in the morning. But then as the day continues and there's emails and commuting and childcare and all the different things that may come into one's life throughout the day, they may start to feel more activated or in fact very activated. But then they may take a lunch break, go walk in the park for 30 minutes, maybe have a really lovely conversation with a friend and that level of activation comes down. So in a healthy person, we should be moving through different states of activation throughout the day, but it's when we get stuck in a state of activation, that's when the problems start to arise. So a lot of people will become increasingly activated throughout the day, and they're just going a million miles an hour. And, you know, they may actually be experiencing shallow breathing, their heart is racing in their chest, they have a lot of muscle tension, but they're so busy and focused on the jobs they have to do, all the things that need to get done, they're not necessarily aware of their body and what's going on, and therefore they don't even notice how activated they really are. And then it gets to the end of the day, and then they wonder why they can't get to sleep at night, or they're waking up in the middle of the night, or why does their neck hurt? Why isn't their digestion working so well? Why do they feel so exhausted all the time? Why are they waking feeling unrefreshed? And it's because they've just been operating in this very, very high state of stress the whole day long. So then the other thing that can happen is if the stress goes on too much for too long, or if anything happens that becomes too overwhelming for the body to cope with at the time, we move through into fight or flight, but then we can also move into freeze. So freeze usually happens when the level of activation becomes so high that the body's only way to cope or what the body perceives as the safest way to cope is to go into this freeze, disassociation, shutdown, exhaustion, immobility. And it's really important to understand in this case that this is self-protective. The body isn't, you know, trying to make your life difficult or um, it's not bad luck or it's not unfair. In fact, your body is always doing the very, very best that it can to protect you and keep you safe, even when it's not convenient to experience the consequences of that. So we can move through fight or flight, and then we can get stuck sometimes in this very high sympathetic activation, or we can get stuck in a freeze state. So we can get stuck on, which is sympathetic activation, or we can get stuck off, which is that very extreme dorsal vagal activation. And so what determines if we get stuck on or stuck off is really the capacity of the nervous system. So we have what is known as the window of tolerance, which, as the name suggests, is the window in which a person's nervous system tends to thrive. And if the stresses that we experience day to day all sort of fall within our capacity, within our window of tolerance, easy days. We can just keep on flowing throughout the day. But things like childhood trauma or big traumas that happen later in life or lots of little traumas that happen across a lifetime 
can all impact the window of tolerance. And even, you know, day to day, we can have changes in the window of tolerance. When we are at different places in our hormonal cycle, we may feel that our window of tolerance is narrower. If you have a chronic fatigue condition, if you're in a crash or flare, your window of tolerance is going to be narrower. If you haven't had a good night's sleep, your window of tolerance is going to be narrower. If you haven't eaten very well, if your blood sugar has gone too low or too high, perhaps you're going to have a narrow window of tolerance. So we can have big things that happen in life which are out of our control, which impact the window of tolerance. And then we can also have things in our day-to-day life which are within our control to a certain degree that impact the window of tolerance. But either way, if we had lots of childhood trauma, if we had lots of chronic stress throughout our life, if we had some big, you know, things happen like a divorce or operations or an accident or some financial issues or we made redundant from a job, you know, there's various different things that can happen. We may experience a narrowing of the window of tolerance over time. And what this means is that we tolerate less, quite literally, but that small things become big things. And then it's easier and easier for the body to become overwhelmed. And we spend more time in that fight or flight energy system. We spend more time perhaps even going into freeze. And then it's easier to get stuck because there's a loss of regulation. There's a loss of capacity to cope. So circling back to that ventral vagus nerve is when we are constantly in this high state of activation and we lose vagal tone because we're not spending enough time actually using that part of our nervous system, that's also what results in a narrowing of the window of tolerance. So one of the ways we expand our window of tolerance is by increasing vagal tone, which means actually using that ventral vagal branch of the nervous system more intentionally day to day. So I liken this to working out in the gym. I've, you know, I've been a fitness person almost all of my life. I used to love going to the gym prior to becoming unwell. And now that I am well enough to do so, I'm really enjoying going back to the gym and lifting weights. And, you know, when someone lifts weights, we know that they have to exercise the muscle for it to get stronger and more effective and for it to grow. And the same goes for your ventral vagal complex. We have to exercise that part of our nervous system because if we don't use it, we lose it. And so when we let the day take control, when we get up in the morning and we just go 100 miles per hour and there's no settling that happens naturally throughout the day, we're not using the ventral vagal complex. And so one of the first things I say to my clients is just start to take little breaks where you maybe do something for a couple of hours and then you take a little pause, you allow your system to settle and then you go again. And I had a client super busy client. She was working for the NHS. She had fibromyalgia. She's just, um, you know, so busy, just loads of meetings, always too much to do, not enough resources in the day. But she said, I can commit to doing one minute of breathing every hour. 
And so all she did was 60 seconds of slowing down her breath every hour on the hour. She just set a little alarm, a little reminder on her phone, and she did it. So across an eight-hour workday, that was eight minutes of breathing spread out across the day. And the difference that it made was phenomenal. And she just felt so much more balanced, so much more grounded, and so much less exhausted by the end of the day because she was in fact doing eight exercises for her ventral vagal complex across the day. So if you want a little tip, that's a little hack that you can do. There's so much that I could say here, but what I'm going to transition into is what we can do or what else we can do to begin to achieve more regulation in the system. Here I'll say, especially if you go online, there's a lot of people who are saying, do this exercise, this will be good for your vagus nerve, or do that exercise and this will be good for your vagus nerve. And I don't doubt that those exercises are helpful, but I have a slightly different process that I'd like to introduce you to. And um, those exercises might be part of the process, but I want you to understand the bigger picture. So how do we achieve more or better self-regulation? The very first step is to slow down the pace of your life. So I explained with my client with fibromyalgia how she felt like she really couldn't slow down the pace of her life, but she could take those single minutes once every hour to create a little bit of slowness and it made a difference. But one of the first stages of change is awareness. And in order for us to become aware of anything, we have to have a little bit of space. We have to create a little bit of space for that awareness. And actually, one of the things I love about working with fatigue clients is that by the time they come and see me, most of them have actually got that spaciousness because their body has given it to them. And they aren't able to have a very busy life because their body just won't let them. So fatigue recovery is a great opportunity, um, ironically, to have this space to slow down. But even I even remember in the early days of my fatigue recovery, I was so uncomfortable with slowing down that I was, even though I was maybe lying down and quote, air quotes, resting, I was busy. I was on social media. I was listening to podcasts. I was reading books. I was just filling my brain with more information and more information. And that was actually just completely overloading my system even more. So we want to slow down. We want to start to become aware. That's the first step. What's going on? And then the second step is actually awareness and attunement. So once we have that space, whether it's that one minute in between meetings or if it's, you know, just putting away the social media, putting away the books, putting away the podcasts and just allowing yourself to be with your body a little bit, then you can start to become aware of what is here with me now? What's happening in my body? And this is what I refer to as attunement. So attunement is to harmonize and it's really to connect with the body, the sensations that are present and to give the body what it needs. And this is where one of the techniques I teach my clients is just tracking, 
tracking the sensations in the body. So it's very common in chronic illness for the body to be a very uncomfortable place to be. And therefore, we tend to not want to feel the body. And if you're really having problems feeling and experiencing your body because it feels very unsafe to do so, then there are other techniques that you can use. That's a maybe a different episode for another day. And um, But we tend to also focus on what doesn't feel good because we have this danger bias. We're constantly scanning for danger and threat in our environment. So we're going to notice, oh, my head feels achy and my shoulders feel achy and there's so much tiredness behind my eyes. But I would also invite you to begin to look for what feels okay. Even if it doesn't feel good, does it feel neutral at least? Even if it's just your baby toe or your earlobes or your cheeks, start to look for the places in your body that ideally maybe have some positive sensations, but if not, maybe just some neutral sensations and start to become aware of what's going on. Because once we start to become aware of what's going on in the body, we can then start to become aware of what we need. And so many people with chronic illness and fatigue have pushed past the needs of their body time and time and time again. And part of healing is coming back into attunement with the needs of the body, which brings me to my next step, step number three, which is giving the body what it needs, or what I also like to refer to as resourcing. So we want to create resourcefulness in your system. And resourcefulness is basically a counter force to the dysregulation of the nervous system, to um, the dysregulation created by trauma that hasn't yet been integrated in the body. And so we want to build up resources, not just exercises that you do, but we want you to build a resourceful life. And here, I like to frame this as your nervous system is interacting with the food you eat, the environment that you're in, the people that you spend time with, the animals that you spend time with, what you're doing, you know, your social media work, reading books or cooking or gardening, whatever it might be. Your nervous system is interacting with everything, every single moment of every single day. And so you really want to take that time now that you've slowed down and you've attuned to ask yourself, is the way I'm spending my day today resourcing to my nervous system or is it depleting to my nervous system? And this doesn't mean that absolutely everything we do needs to be resourcing, not at all. But maybe while you are healing, there needs to be more things which are resourcing and less things which are depleting. And then you start to create a life and an environment which supports the resourcefulness of your nervous system. 
because it's all very well knowing that four, six breathing, for example, breathing in for four, out for six helps to calm down the nervous system. But if you do your four, six breathing for 10 minutes and you walk back into a job that you hate, into a relationship that you hate, or you're spending time with people that make you feel bad, or you're eating terrible food and you're not getting outside and you're not really doing anything that you love, you're not really going to get the impact that you want in terms of changing the nervous system. So we want to build resourcefulness. And the other reason why we want to build resourcefulness is because resourcefulness supports the capacity of the nervous system. It widens the window of tolerance. And then when the nervous system is more grounded, more supported, more resourceful, then we can start to go into some of the other stuff we may want to look at if you feel that there's past trauma that you want to look at or investigate or you maybe need to do some brain retraining or um, things like that. You've already built some capacity within your nervous system. So that then takes me to the next things we may want to consider. So brain retraining is really popular. If you've done any research around fatigue recovery, you've probably already heard of it. And brain retraining, you know, I guess various different people will have various different takes on what brain retraining is, but it's using your thoughts and your mind to change the signals that are getting sent to the body. So brain retraining is like a top-down approach. And that means that we are maybe looking at certain ways of thinking or certain belief systems that are causing stress to our bodies because we think about things in a way that is stressful or we believe things about the world which makes the world a stressful place to live in. So part of brain retraining is becoming aware of and then reconditioning these thought patterns or these belief patterns, which essentially also influence our behavior. Um, and in doing so, we, you know, we can change the body's response to our thoughts internally, but maybe also change external behaviors which are keeping us stuck in our fatigue condition. The thing to remember about brain retraining is it is top down. And most of the communication that's happening in the nervous system is from body to brain so it's from the bottom up so i trained in nlp neuro-linguistic programming which is a huge foundation of brain retraining about 14 years ago and i've done my coaching qualifications i've done neurostrategy qualifications um and i've worked a lot with i would call this like quote mindset work in the past with my clients and since diving more into the somatic world which i'll talk about in a second i really find that the best way to use brain retraining is that if we can integrate it with the body somatically because there is a saying that is our state defines our stories or stories follow state which means that our state the state of our nervous system how activated the nervous system is will determine how we then think how we then believe and therefore what we do or what behaviors we create as a consequence so if we use affirmations for example if you feel unsafe in your body and then you use the affirmation, I am safe, I am safe, I am safe, 
but your body is sending you a very different signal sometimes that can actually heighten the activation within the body because the body doesn't actually feel like it's being attuned to so we want to actually yes use some mindset tools but we want to be able to integrate that with a body that is receptive to receiving those tools and again you know that's a whole thing that i actually teach in my high achiever revival program and with my um one on one clients so it's way beyond the scope of today's episode to go into that in much more detail but just to say that um brain retraining is best combined with the um, somatic work so that we can really get it to land in the body. So then the next thing that you may want to do to support your nervous system is maybe some somatic work. And here it might be important to distinguish the difference between somatics and somatic experiencing. So somatics is basically any kind of mind and body based practice where we use interoception. So interoception is our ability to sense within the body and to be able to sense what's going on inside the body. And the way interoception and somatic practices work is that we bring our mind or our cognitive attention to the body and when we do that that has a very settling effect on the nervous system it helps the nervous system to settle and that's one of the ways that we can strengthen the vagal break there are various somatic practices out there some of them may involve sounds or movements and um, there's a big variety of things that you can do somatically to support your nervous system Then we have somatic experiencing, which is a very specific practice which requires a lot of training. And the purpose of somatic experiencing is to safely release and integrate shock and trauma and survival energies that are stuck in the body due to traumas that have been experienced, either big traumas or little traumas and chronic stress. And it can be helpful specifically to have individuals process the survival energy relating to specific events. And it can also help the individual to tolerate stress and to widen the window of tolerance. There's a lot of similarity and overlap between the two, but I would say the difference between somatics and somatic experiencing is that somatic experiencing is much more specific to the needs of the individual. So for example, some somatic practices may be to discharge the energy of anger, which might encourage someone to push against a wall or hit a pillow or maybe scream into a pillow or make a sound. But somatic experiencing would work with the person's nervous system and understand how that person's nervous system specifically wants to integrate that survival energy. So for example, when the person senses into their own body and they bring up the specific event or something that they maybe feel anger around, they may actually not want to push or punch or scream Maybe there's another movement or another sound that the body actually wants to make. And for this reason, a much higher level of integration 
and resolution can be achieved through somatic experiencing. And somatic practices, when inappropriately attuned, can actually raise the survival energy in the system. So if someone hasn't built the capacity to tolerate anger and they're invited to discharge by pushing a wall or screaming into a pillow, that can actually raise that level of fight energy in the body, which may be too much for them to handle. And so this is why we always want to start from the ground up with slowing down, awareness and attunement, building resourcefulness, and then going into some of these more sophisticated practices. So then the final thing on my list in terms of nervous system regulation is um, hormetic stresses. Hormetic stresses are stresses which create a small inflammatory effect in the brain which then causes an anti-inflammatory effect in the rest of the body and this can be very beneficial for the nervous system and this is where we can use things like heat stress, cold stress, fasting, exercise, hypoxia, so low oxygen states to stress the body and challenge the nervous system so that it builds its capacity to handle and be with stress. This is usually something that comes much later in someone's journey for reasons already discussed. We want to have a good level of attunement. We want to have a good level of resourcefulness and resilience in the body first and foremost before we start adding these big external stresses because it's very easy to do too much, especially when someone's not well attuned to their body and their own capacity and their own tolerance. These hormetic stresses are dose dependent. So that means that, you know, how much is appropriate for one person may be different to another person. And again, it's beyond the scope of this episode to go into details about the ins and outs of all these hormetic stresses. That's definitely something I'll do another episode on in future. But for now, just understanding that these are something that can um, influence the nervous system in a positive way when used in the appropriate dosage and at the right point in someone's fatigue recovery journey. You wouldn't be adding in hormetic stresses when somebody is still very dysregulated or still in a state of cell danger response one, for example, when there's a lot of threat already still going on in the body. These are things that become later as we expand the capacity of the person. And I didn't actually have this on my list, but it's worth mentioning here as well that we also achieve nervous system regulation through supporting the body's physiological processes. So blood sugar, which I'm going to talk about in the next episode, is really important for nervous system regulation. Good digestive health, eating an anti-inflammatory diet, having adequate levels of nutrients, these are all going to be really important things for the nervous system. Because if we have dysregulated blood sugar, if we have dysbiosis in the gut, if we lack nutrients, that's stressful for the body. So some messaging you may come across as you go through your fatigue recovery journey is all we need is nervous system regulation to become well. 
And I beg to differ. I do believe nervous system regulation is a really important part of the puzzle, but we have to think about the big picture and how we are supporting the body from all angles because these physiological and biochemical imbalances can dysregulate the nervous system too. And we want to make sure that we are seeing and addressing those. That brings me to the end of this episode today. There was so much I feel I could have said here. I felt like I missed out so much and I hope I have done the episode some justice at least. If there's any other questions or things that you feel that you'd like to know more about, please feel free to reach out to me um, you know, through social media or through my website and um, then I can pick up on those things in a future episode. Until then, may you have a wonderful fatigue recovery day.